Live from the Merck Park, USA, I'm Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, everything at KBLA 1580. Uh, let me also invite you to download our app right now at KBLA 1580. Download the app. And take us with you anywhere in the world and listen to us in real time. But only if you download the app right now at KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of our program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple. So many places to get the podcast of our program and listen at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time. But I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another good show on tap for you today in our second hour. In this month of March, 1861, Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated as our 16th president. Just days after his inauguration, the Confederate Congress adopts its constitution, declares the sovereignty of states, and forbids the passage of any bill which outlaws slavery. Today, a story of war and peace, race and reconciliation, the revelatory history of Abraham Lincoln's plan to secure a just and lasting peace after the Civil War. We will speak with author John Avlon about Lincoln and the fight for peace in hour two. In our third hour, the cast of Twilight, Los Angeles, 1992, join us live in studio to talk about the stage production which has returned to the Mark Taper Farm. Reimagined with an ensemble cast for a new generation of audiences, Twilight is a stunning and seminal play that explores the devastating human impact of the five days of uh, uprising and unrest following the Rodney King verdict. The cast of Twilight, Los Angeles, 1992, join us today in hour three. But in this first hour today, we'll talk politics with the national affairs correspondent for The Nation magazine and co-author of Senator Bernie Sanders' new book, It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism, John Nichols. Before we uh, commence our conversation with John Nichols, uh, just a quick reminder, today at 4.35 p.m., do not forget to tune in to Ariva Martin in real time uh, for your daily download on the trial of USA v. MRT, USA versus Mark Rudy Thomas. After two weeks of putting on their case, the prosecution rested last Friday. Court is dark on Monday, but they are back in session even as we speak. Uh, and today, the defense uh, begins putting on its case. After almost, what, two years? A couple years now almost of um, waiting for this moment, uh, City Councilman Mark Rudy Thomas finally uh, gets to tell his side of this story, gets to put on his case uh, and we are uh, following this, of course, every day with our own justice correspondent, Dion Raymond, who was inside the courtroom. And every day at 435, she's checking in with uh, Ariva Martin in real time for, again, your daily download on what happens inside the case. So we've heard what the prosecution has to say. And many of us are waiting to hear, finally, what MRT has to say about these uh, federal bribery charges, 19 of them. Uh, leveled uh, against him in this case, USA v. MRT. So once again, today, 4.35 p.m. and every day, make sure you tune in to Ariva Martin in real time to get our daily download on what's happening in that uh, particular trial. Um, so there you have it. When we come forward, we'll commence our conversation uh, with John Nichols of The Nation magazine. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. 
Glad to have you with us in this hour. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago that we'd be joined by John Nichols of The Nation magazine, and uh, we uh, don't know where John is. Um, so something has gone wrong. I pray that wherever John is and whatever's going on, he is okay. Uh, I hope it's just a scheduling issue. Uh, but we are not going to talk to John Nichols at the moment. But, uh, instead, uh, a pretty amazing and awesome stand-in, uh, Nick Corte is the National Affairs uh, uh, Political uh, uh, correspondent for this station, uh, our National Political Affairs uh, uh, analyst, uh, and is also the host, as you well know, of A More Perfect Union, our public affairs program on Sundays, heard on the tens exclusively here on KBLA Talk 1580. He is also uh, the uh, anchor of uh, uh, the uh, Fox Soul uh, news program uh, every night, and I am delighted. Uh, to have uh, Nick Quarterly back in conversation. So many political things to talk about. Uh, we're not going to waste this good hour because we can't find John Nichols. Uh, I could do it by myself, but I'd much rather be in dialogue with Nick Quarterly to take his temperature on this uh, as well. Nick Quarterly, how are you, sir? Thank you for your time. I appreciate you. I'm doing very well, Tav. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Pleasure is all mine. Let me jump right in. Um, the Trump stuff uh, is everywhere. Um, we uh, discussed this on our program yesterday over the weekend, as you well know, and as you discussed, uh, I'm sure, on Fox Soul. Uh, and on your many other platforms, indeed, I'm sure on your show on Sunday, this past Sunday, the news broke over the weekend that Donald Trump, of course, has uh, gone out front saying he expects to be indicted this week. And the stories abound. At the moment, um, we uh, uh, are waiting uh, on the indictment. Um, but um, Trump has called now for protest. Uh, and uh, as we move uh, perhaps ever closer to that moment where he, in fact, is going to be indicted by uh, Alvin Bragg, the DA in Manhattan, in Manhattan, I should mention the first African-American DA in Manhattan. As you move closer to that moment, uh, he is now calling for protests uh, and his supporters are starting to say publicly, uh, protest, take our nation back, protest, take our nation back. We must save America. Protest, protest, protest. Those are the chants that we're hearing uh, in various parts around the country. They are suggesting, not suggesting, saying out loud that this is a trap. Uh, that's what supporters of Donald Trump, uh, Trumpism, as you like to call it, that's what they are saying. Uh, sounds eerily similar to something else, doesn't it? It does. It does. It does. And this is this is going to be another major moment for our country. Uh, you know, we've never been in a predicament like this, or at least not in recent memory, where uh, a former president is uh, it's looking like uh, there's an indictment that is forthcoming. Uh, and this is a former president that has no makes no qualms, has, has no issue of fanning the flames of division, uh, you know, to divide and conquer. Uh, and, you know, this is a, you know, going to be a very challenging moment. I just saw uh, some video uh, just yesterday of uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, uh, you know, uh, informing uh, the press corps that, uh, the NYPD is on sort of full alert and they're monitoring chatter online and monitoring uh, the city very closely to make sure that, you know, there are no sort of public safety disturbances. Um, but I think we're also seeing politically a weakened Donald Trump. Once upon a time, you know, uh, he was able to wield his social media presence as a weapon, uh, you know, in, in a way that, uh, you know, we've seen... Uh, that, that seems to be a little bit more limited compared to when he was on, uh, you know, Twitter full time. Mm -hmm. uh, he seems to be on Truth Social full time uh, these days, and it doesn't seem to have the same bite. But it's still too easy. It's still too early to tell. Uh, but you know, this is this is a 
this is uncharted territory in modern history. Uh, and, uh, you know, who knows where this thing is going to go, but uh, it's, it's seeming more and more and more likely that, uh, that Trump is going to be indicted uh, and that he may not be uh, the Republican nominee for president. The flip side of this, and I've been I've been following this uh, uh, closely, of course, as as you have. The flip side of this is um, is the following: that um, three days after uh, his call, his desperate call for people to protest, um, the online support, at least, uh, again, law enforcement watching what's happening online, the online support for these public protests that Trump has called for remain, according to news reports, unfocused, disorganized, and muted. Uh, these are these these uh, comments are coming from experts who monitor far right extremist behavior online rather than organizing protests. Um, prominent Trump supporters online are instead driving what we're told is a different narrative that any public events are a trap being set for them by law enforcement and that attending any of these events will be counterproductive and will likely result in protesters being arrested. As you well know, all they started out, although they started out really, really slow at this point, there have been nearly 1000 prosecutions of those persons who stormed the Capitol on uh, January the 6th, a couple years ago, uh, 2021. So perhaps they've wised up a bit. And uh, although Trump is demanding and calling for these protests, uh, many persons in his uh, his uh, uh, his camp see this as a trap by law enforcement. So maybe the protest that Donald Trump is calling for after what happened on January the 6th, maybe it won't materialize. Your thoughts? It, it may not materialize, but I think it's very interesting that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is discouraging protests. He, tell, he told reporters on Sunday that we want calmness out there. Uh, you know, and Kevin McCarthy has been in lockstep with the former president, uh, you know, for uh, quite a long time. You know, the former president was uh, even helping to whip votes for mm -hmm. his speakership. And so that's a pretty interesting uh, and uh, timely rebuke of, of exactly what Trump is calling for. Um, you know, we know that uh, former Vice President Mike Pence uh, downplayed concerns about protests on Sunday. He was on uh, ABC News, um, you know, saying that folks have a right to peaceably uh, peacefully uh, assemble. Uh, and you might remember he was a major target by Capitol uh, rioters on January 6th. And so it's very interesting. What makes this moment so interesting is that you have, you know, some of the Republican standard bearers, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, former Vice President Mike Pence, and in real time, you know, are encouraging people to not follow Trump. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and to not participate uh, in these protests, and if they do, to do so peacefully as compared to what they did uh, on January 6th. And so this is a very interesting moment for the former president, obviously legally, uh, but also politically. And as somebody who has announced his intention to run for uh, president of the United States, again, he's running for that Republican nomination, uh, I think you know, we're seeing a weakened Donald Trump. Uh, you know, that is just beleaguered by, you know, all of these active investigations. And who would have ever thought, who would have ever thought, Tavis, that, you know, it would be the case related uh, to his, in, his alleged involvement with hush, hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniels. Uh, who would have ever thought, you know, that that might be uh, the, uh, the case, the investigation uh, that leads to an indictment of a former president? 
Mm-hmm. Um, McCarthy, um, I was talking to a guest yesterday, and she made the point, uh, which I'm sure you'll appreciate, that this is a different kind of McCarthyism, is it not? <laughs> I mean, Kevin McCarthy <laughs> uh, behaving the way that he's behaving. Let me ask you this broad question. Uh, what box do you think this puts Republicans in right now? The fact that we are literally sitting here on on, on talk radio, heard nationally, talking about the fact that uh, we are uh, awaiting the moment when a former U.S. president will be indicted. Never happened before, to your point, precedent setting. Um, what box does this put Republicans in? And by Republicans, I mean establishment Republicans. I mean uh, uh, the, the head of the RNC. Uh, what box are Republicans in right now as you see it, Nick Well, I think this underscores that the Republicans are having to deal with an identity crisis. Who, is, who are they and who do they want to be? Do they want to continue to peddle in Trumpism? Do they want to continue to be enablers of white supremacy? Do they want to fan the flames of white supremacy violence, you know, and uh, election denialism? And do they want to be at war, you know, with black history in schools and, you know, with the LGBTQ community, you know, uh, or do, you know, do they want to turn the page, turn the page, not just on Donald Trump, but Trumpism. It seems to me that Trumpism has metastasized in the Republican Party. And, uh, you know, the, the party seems almost terminally ill. It almost seems like, you know, uh, they've got to start anew. And, you know, so far we have not seen anyone announce their uh, intention to run for president or to be the leader of the party uh, that aspires, you know, to uh, paint a vision of a healthier, a healthier Republican Party. And it lends itself to a healthier democracy. It all seems more of the same, whether you're looking at Donald Trump's uh, run for president, you know, you're looking at Nikki Haley. You know, there are rumors that uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina uh, and uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida are intending to run for president, among other people looking. Right. None of them are really offering a vision in terms of how you turn the page not just from Trump, but Trumpism. And until Republicans figure that out, it's going to be more of the same. It's going to be this identity crisis uh, and, and you know, this, this uh, uh, situation, you know, where uh, it's going to be uh, all Trump all the time uh, as uh, this pending indictment and potentially others continue to dominate the headlines. Speaking of Alvin Bragg, who I referenced moments ago, the African-American DA in Manhattan, um, reading again more stories here about this developing uh, uh, story. Uh, the House GOP um, is uh, using its extraordinary power these days to do what they have always done, and that is to protect and shield Donald Trump. We are now told that allies of Trump in the House, House majority, as I mentioned, are demanding that Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg uh, testify before Congress, and they are seeking to thwart uh, his investigation relating uh, of course, to this alleged hush money payment uh, to Stormy Daniels. What do you make of the way in which uh, not just Kevin McCarthy, but down the line inside the House, they are now trying to, again, thwart this investigation, hold off this indictment, and demanding that Alvin Bragg show up in front of Congress and testify about his investigation? It's extraordinary, but what do you re- what, what's your read on that? It is extraordinary, but I'm not all that surprised because this is a party that through and through, you know, has shown their willingness to operate above the law. You know, look, Tavis, you know, the Republican standard bearers in the House of Representatives know that this is an active investigation. Uh, And, you know, 
for for them to demand, you know, that records be released right now. They know that's not going to happen. They know that that's not possible. They know that that would fundamentally undermine this investigation. And that's exactly what they intend to do. They want to undermine it. You know, remember, a lot of folks in House leadership, from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to his lieutenants, a lot of them, you know, were put there uh, in part because uh, of Donald Trump. He whipped votes, you know, for McCarthy. He whipped votes, you know, and has been closely aligned with a lot of folks in senior leadership in the House. And so all they're doing is what is to be expected, which is, you know, defending uh, the uh, person that, that helped to put them there. And that's Donald Trump. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing, you know, for Kevin McCarthy's speakership. Uh, that's not going to inspire any more confidence uh, in our, our government's ability to hold folks accountable uh, and, you know, when we see leaders of our government, uh, you know, you miss, you potentially misuse their power, misuse their, the power of the bully pulpit, to be sure, uh, to misuse that to undermine investigations. Uh, you know, that's a part of the reason why uh, a lot of Republicans were hoping to get control uh, in, in the last election. And if they keep that control in the next election, I think the American people can unfortunately expect more of the same. Yeah. Um, we had a conversation yesterday about this, and I want to, again, uh, see what your read is on this. So the New York Times yesterday, which I'm sure you saw, you read everything that I read and then some. Uh, I, I know you're always following the what's happening because you're, you're anchoring, of course, a news program every night on Fox Soul. But um, there are two reasons the New York Times advanced yesterday in one story why perhaps um, there might be second thoughts um, uh, about whether it Donald Trump should, in fact, be indicted. And at this point, maybe not second thoughts, but certainly cause for concern. Uh, one of the issues they advanced yesterday in the Quarterly is that this case is not a slam dunk. Um, experts all across the country are telling us uh, that this case is going to be difficult to, to advance and to win. Uh, that may be one of the reasons why Alvin Bragg sort of slowed down to the point that he upset some members of his staff. Uh, some folks, as you know, uh, resigned, walked away from uh, their longtime jobs in the Manhattan DA's office because they thought that Alvin Bragg was getting cold feet. Perhaps he got cold feet because he thought this wasn't a slam dunk. Now, he got a serious pushback because of that, and he did a 180, as it were. Uh, I'm not sure why, um, but uh, it's not a slam dunk, we're told. But the other issue that I want to really get to you on is that this um, portends to lower the bar in years to come. Keep in mind now that the two uh, potential indictments that are moving fastest are at the local level. Fulton County DA Fannie Willis uh, may very well be indicting Donald Trump in the days ahead. She may be beaten to that by Alvin Bragg, a local DA in Manhattan. You see where this story goes, that in the years to come, with all these Republicans, and this is what they've been doing, right? They've been stacking. They've been winning at, They've been winning, winning these down-ballot races, even down to school board. You and I have discussed that before. They've been winning these down-ballot races. So Republicans are in control at the local level, the state level, all across the country. You can imagine in the years to come, I mean, let's face it, they've already started messing with Joe Biden about Hunter and other issues now that they control the House. But in, in years to come, now you've lowered the bar where local jurisdictions can start uh, investigations and prosecutions and bring indictments against national political figures at the House level, at the Senate level, and even in the White House, as we see in this case now. Does, in fact, this run the—are the, we in danger now moving forward in this way with these local jurisdictions of lowering the bar in the years to come? 
Well, so two things, and that New York Times article, and they've been cranking them out related to this topic. Um, you know, there were two really compelling reasons that jumped out at me in terms of why charge him and why not charge him. Mm-hmm. And so for the folks that say charge him, uh, the New York Times, you know, wrote that the evidence that Trump broke the law, it seems substantial. It includes testimony from Cohen and others, as well as Trump's personal checks to Cohen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that the, the hush money and cover up of it uh, in the final weeks of uh, a close presidential race seems to have been a brazen violation of campaign finance rules. That's what people say. One of the most compelling things I think people say when they say, why charge him? They say to overlook that kind of violation could encourage future candidates to ignore the law as well. But for the people to say, why not charge him? You know, the government has a process and it's been honed over decades by Democrats and Republicans for investigating presidents and candidates. And there are local prosecutors who've spent far less time thinking about the legal and political impact of doing this. And so, you know, in this polarized political environment, it's really hard to imagine that an indictment in this case could lower the bar of partisan local prosecutors to bring future cases against national politicians. And so that is a big part, Tavis, why this moment, this moment is is, uh, such an inflection point for our country, uh, for our politics, uh, for our political discourse, uh, you know, really, it's it's a it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, uh, and you know, I, I can see the arguments, you know, from from both sides, but I'm I'm leaning towards the fact that again, to overlook the violation, and this is a former president that seems to really enjoy skirting the line, breaking the rules, finding loopholes. To overlook the violation, it could encourage future candidates to ignore the law. Today, it's Donald Trump. Tomorrow, who knows who it could be? It could be, you know, uh, somebody, uh, you know, uh, uh, who's seeking uh, the office of the presidency or, uh, you know, it could be somebody on the Supreme Court. It could be a governor. Uh, It could be a lot of different people. And so uh, we have a lot to chew on. uh, And uh, this yeah. is uh, going to take the country through another tailspin. It is indeed. Uh, let me uh, ask Nick Cordelai to hang out with us just for a few more minutes, uh, and then we'll let him go. I know he has to get ready for his own show, but there are a couple of the topics I want to uh, get his uh, temperature on, and then we will um, move on to other things in this three-hour program. You're listening to Nick Cordelai Corte and Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 15. I'm Tavis Smiley. He is Nick Cordelai Corte, the uh, national political affairs analyst for this station and the moderator of A More Perfect Union, our Sunday public affairs program, Sundays on the Tens. If you've never heard his program on Sundays, uh, you're missing a treat. It's the the best uh, political affairs program uh, in the country geared toward our community. So Sundays on the Tens, 10 a.m. and 10 p.m., check out A More Perfect Union, hosted by Dr. Nee Quartelai-Corte. He is also the anchor of The Black Report on Fox Soul, uh, weeknights on uh, on Fox Soul. Uh, professor at Pepperdine, all-around great guy, <laughs> busy guy, uh, and I'm glad that we have him for these few minutes in this hour uh, to take his temperature as our political expert on some of the issues that are trending. Um, one of the things I want to talk about before I let you uh, get out of here in a few minutes, Anik Kordelai, is the ways in which you're covering this story about the banking system. Uh, as we all know now, uh, and these stories keep coming out to your point earlier every day, like every 10 minutes, somebody's dropping a new story. We're learning more and more and more about this banking situation. What we know now, aside from the back, uh, aside from the fact is you well know that the wall street journal in an op-ed piece tried to blame black folk, <laughs> one black person on the board, uh, as being the reason why they were distracted from what they should have been focused on. So they want to blame D E and I, as it were, 
on this uh, collapse of uh, Silicon Valley Bank in particular. What we now know, though, is that bankers lobbied for deregulation. No surprise. Congress capitulated, including some Democrats in the Senate. No surprise. And now these banks are collapsing on the verge of collapse like First Republic and Chase and others have to come in and deposit $30 billion into First Republic to make sure that it doesn't go under. So I don't care what Joe Biden is saying, what Janet Yellen is saying. I respect both of them. But this banking situation is making a whole lot of people nervous. How are you covering it from from, a, from an African-American perspective and what it means to our community? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's important to note that uh, for black folks, um, you know, getting access to capital is critically important. In fact, it's, it's one of the issues that, you know, motivates black voters. Uh, it's one of the reasons why, you know, we've seen uh, some examples of black male voters in particular, um, you know, considering uh, the candidacy of even some Republicans, mm-hmm. you know, that are talking that talk around access to capital. Yeah. Uh, and so I think right now, I think the the consumer psychology is such where people don't know what to think, mm-hmm. you know, about about the banks. Now, you know, all of our listeners should know that, you know, uh, our, our all of our funds in the bank are insured up to $250,000. I just saw this past Sunday that Senator uh, Warren uh, has called uh, for Congress to increase uh, that FDI insurance to somewhere between $2 million and $10 million. And mm-hmm. so, you know, uh, that means a lot for black small businesses, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it means a lot in terms of reassuring folks that, you know, they will be able to meet their payroll obligations uh, well into the future, you know, but that doesn't just happen because Senator Warren uh, proposes that that happens. We need Congress uh, to act. And so certainly from a black small business perspective, you know, uh, we need to we need to make sure that we're reassuring folks that, you know, your money is going to be uh, insured uh, up to, you know, uh, a, you know, more than $250,000. And that's something that we need to work on, you know, but, you know, we know that, uh, you know, the GOP has no shame in terms of, you know, who they who they blame as a diversion, mm-hmm. to your point, you know, from the deregulation that has taken place that's been enabled, to your point, by both Republicans and Democrats. You know, uh, this is just the latest addition to the anti-woke agenda that Republicans have seen hell-bent on running on in the 2024 election cycle. Yep. And finally here, I think finally, um, maybe one other issue, the polls that um, we seem to follow every day, I I, I try not to put too much stock in these things, but uh, sometimes it's all you have uh, in the meantime and in between time. But there's a poll I was looking at this morning, a couple of polls that suggest two things that I find interesting. And um, I want to, again, get your get your perspective on these two things. One, uh, polling in Iowa um, suggests that President Biden's support is softening there. Uh, we know that Democrats just sort of changed the map uh, next time around. So Iowa won't be you know, necessarily first uh, stop uh, on um, on on the on the docket when we get to the 2024 election cycle. Um and you know that process better than I. I can ask you to sort of uh, uh, educate us on what states got moved around to the extent you know. But uh, the point is that his, his poll numbers in Iowa are softening, number one, for whatever that means. And secondly, uh, while African-Americans still overwhelmingly support Joe Biden, his support intra-black America, inside of black America, is softening as well. How do you read those two things? Well, you know, it's still too early to tell. You know, the 2024 election is still a lifetime 
away in political years. But uh, this is also, I would imagine that folks in Biden world, uh, you know, probably, you know, was looking at the forest beyond the trees. And that's Mm -hmm. probably part of the reason why they switched up the primary calendar so that uh, we're seeing that South Carolina is going first. Um, and so, you know, uh, this is a president that is very proud of of, of the of, of his record uh, and delivering for black folks across the country, both symbolically and substantively. But obviously, you know, uh, very different segments of black folks are going to make the determination as to whether or not that's the case. And so, you know, this uh, president's reelection bid, you know, needs to be razor sharp in terms of what their message is, you know, to different segments of black voters, you know, uh, you know, sort of an intergenerational message, uh, you know, and it's also important that, you know, this president, uh, if in fact, I think, uh, you know, if in fact their run for the White House the second time is, uh, is, is going to be successful, you know, I've heard pollsters say that they need to remind black folks of their power. You know, this isn't so much about what, President Biden and Vice President Harris did. It's what, you know, uh, voters allow them to do, principally a part of that equation, are black voters. Um, And so, yes, it's true that in Iowa uh, that the president's numbers, you know, are uh, softening a little bit. But just to put it in context, 30 percent of Iowans say that they approve of Biden's job performance down from 35 percent in October 2022, but just above his lowest Iowa poll, which was in July 2022, of 27%. So, you know, it's certainly not the lowest uh, he's been in Iowa. It's not the highest either. Uh, but there's plenty of time to make up ground. Yep. And here's the final point. Uh, it's a broader question I want to ask about about union, unions in this country uh, and how you're reading the fight for unions to remain relevant. Um, as we know, um, the uh, teachers in Los Angeles um, UTLA, along with SEIU uh, 99, local uh, 99, uh, are on strike. It's the biggest story in the country right now in education. It's leading all, it's trending everywhere. I'm looking at it on my phone right now. Uh, we were fortunate yesterday uh, to have the president. We went straight to the source. The president of UTLA, Cecily Myrott Cruz, was a guest on this program yesterday confirming for us and explaining to us why these teachers in solidarity with the staff workers, the janitors and the the cooks and those other personnel uh, who work for LAUSD, who are the lowest paid in that system, uh, averaging about $25,000 a year is all they make. So teachers in solidarity with SEIU 99 are on strike 420,000 students are left out of school for today. In the next two days, it's a three-day strike. It's a master, massive strike, uh, shutting down the second largest school district in this country. We talked about the details of that with uh, uh, Madam President yesterday, um, but, I, I, but I'm curious to get your take. And she and I tee this up just a little bit about the, the fight that unions are in these days to remain relevant in the quarter line. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing you know, unions flexing their muscle uh, time and again, uh, whether we're talking about uh, private sector unions like uh, the union workers in, in Am- at Amazon, not just across the country, but in other places around the world. It wasn't too long ago that we saw uh, the unions um, uh, on strike and organizing. We're talking about uh, university researchers and teachers assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the biggest uh, labor strikes that we've seen uh, in a very long time. Um, and it's just important to remind our listeners what uh, the uh, union workers uh, in LA are fighting for. It's a 30% pay raise plus an additional $2 an hour for the next four years, an increase 
employment hours for part-time workers. Uh, and the latest offers announced by uh, the LA School District on Monday included a 23% recurring pay increase plus a 3% cash in hand bonus, as well as a 20 an hour minimum wage. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that both sides, you know, are not as far apart uh, as, as we might think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look, having over 400,000 students staying at home uh, uh, in the meantime is never a good thing. We, knew, we know that those in-classroom hours of instruction uh, matter. Uh, and, you know, I think this is also going to be, you know, a big moment for a number of L.A. local leaders, you know, uh, including our new mayor, to to bring people to the negotiating table to to close that gap. And so yeah. this is a big moment, not just for the people of Los Angeles, but for the people of our country and for uh, those that 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 purport to be supporters of organized labor. This is a moment where people are either going to put up or not. Yep. And you're right about that. Uh, unions are flexing. They are in this town right now. Again, it's national news at the second largest district uh, in the country. Now has over 400,000 students who are out of class today and the next couple of days uh, while we figure out what happens um, between uh, UTLA, SEIU 99, and the Los Angeles Unified School District. For now, uh, we'll leave it there. Nicola Corte, again, is the anchor for Fox Soul's The Black Report. He's the national political affairs, political affairs analyst for this station, KBLA Talk 1580, and host of the fine program, A More Perfect Union, heard Sundays on the tens right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Nick thanks for, for calling in. Uh, thanks for uh, allowing us to walk through some of these trending topics with you, and we'll do it again and check out your fine program this Sunday. All the best, my friend, and see you, of course, tonight on Fox Soul. All right. Always a delight. Talk to you soon. Take care, my friend. When we come forward, Pastor William Smart, president of SCLC Southern California, with his thoughts for a few moments here uh, on the defense, finally uh, taking the stand today uh, in the case of USA v. MRT. We'll get his thoughts as one of the persons who filed the lawsuit uh, to make all of this happen um, at the city level, at least. Uh, We'll talk with him and get his take on the case as it moves forward today when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15.